Mark chapter 4 is where we are going to be. We finished up the book of Genesis. It only took us a year and a half. Woo! Yes. And we are doing, uh, as I told you last week, we're going to be doing the parables of Jesus uh, through our fourth birthday, which is the end of January. We'll have some Christmas messages in there at the end of December, but it's going to be great. Uh, you could throw the four seeds up on the screen. We got pictures today. Yeah. You like this? This is going to be great. All the artwork was done by Jez, who does your coffee here at church, too. So if you're like, hey, I want to pay lots and lots and lots of money for somebody to draw something cool, Jez is your girl. You're welcome, Jez. Anyway, uh, I was thinking about it this week as I was studying for this. And I w- it was weird as I was thinking about it because church is one of the only places like in your life where we're kind of unsure why you're here, right? And you might be unsure why you're here. Church is one of the only places where you might not know what the expectations are when you walk in, right? Everything else you do basically in your entire life, like you know what the expectations are when you walk in. When you walk into a restaurant, like... I'm here to eat food, right? I'm going to order some food. You're going to make it for me and bring it to the table, and I'm going to pay you for it. Like, it's very clear expectations. When you go to, like, a sporting event, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm paying money. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to watch the sporting event, and then I'm going to leave, right? Those expectations are super clear. When you come to church, the expectations start to get a little muddy because we've all come to church, and we've sat, and we've listened, and then you get this weird feeling like, hmm. I don't know if that's like the fullness of the expectation. Have you ever got that feeling when they're sitting in church? Like maybe there's a little bit more I should be doing or like this should have a little bit more uh, to impact on my life. Nobody's ever felt that. Just me. Like maybe you shouldn't come to this church anymore. I'm just joking. Right? Like if you've never felt that, like pray for us. But there should be a time when you go, um, there's something more than just what's sitting and listening. And there should be some, there's some other sort of expectation. Uh, Recently, as a church, well, and maybe more specifically as a leadership team, we've been trying to clarify what that expectation is, especially with coronavirus and not being able to meet. We're like, hey, we need to be very clear about what we're doing here, what the plan is, where we're going, so that if this happens again, if we don't meet for some reason, everybody will know what the plan is. We can stay on course. We can continue to do what God has called us to do. And so, what we've done is we've clarified our mission statement. I'll actually throw that up on the screen. If you didn't know what our mission statement as a church is, it's we exist to glorify God by helping people. Still not up there. It's going to be up there, I promise. By knowing God, helping them, by helping people know God, find fruit. Nope, still not. One before that, probably. There it is. We exist to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's why our church exists, right? So you can go to the next one now, right? And the reason we came up with that, not that we came up with that, but as we looked through the scriptures, we saw over and over these four kind of steps that God would lead people into and work them through as he was working in and through their life. 
We would see this over and over and over in the Bible. The idea that people are called to know God, to find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Now, that's not biblical language. That's our language that we have looked at the Bible and said, this is what we see happening. And so we were like, what would be easy to remember? And so we came up with these words uh, with the help of the, you know, other, or our kids, the organization we were partnering with. But anyway. This is just simple language to describe what we see happening in the scriptures. And as we come to Mark chapter 4, we see this actually kind of taking place in a teaching of Jesus. And I really believe that this is God's plan for literally every single person on the planet. Think about that for a second. We talked to the beginning, like, why are you here? What's the expectations for coming into church? I believe this is the expectation. I believe that there is no person on the planet for whom God does not want this. Now, some of you are naturally skeptical like me, right? And you're like, I don't know if that's true, Jared. Like, those four things are what God wants for every single person. Yeah, and actually, I think I can prove it to you. What if we flip those around and argued from the other direction? Because if you're telling me God doesn't want those for you, I think you're in a bad place to argue, right? If you were saying like, no, I think there's people who God doesn't want to know him. Nobody's going to argue for that. I think there's people who God doesn't want to find freedom. That's a tough argument, right? I don't think God wants that person to know their purpose. I don't think God wants this person on planet Earth to make a difference. That, that's all false, right? We all, we, we, like, you hear that and you're like, no, that's, that's not true. So these are things that God literally wants for every person on the planet. Now there, when we talk about these four steps, we usually call them the four steps of discipleship because there are four things that we see God doing uh, in the lives of his disciples. But in Mark chapter four, Jesus teaches his followers this parable that illustrates God's expectations for your entire life. So we're going to take a look at it, Mark chapter four, and we're going to start in verse one. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, nope, I'm reading verse, chapter 1. So it's on page 489 if you have a white or a blue Bible. Chapter 4, verse 1, not chapter 1, verse 1, which is where I was. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, parable is one of those words we don't use very often uh, just in our normal daily life, but a parable is just a story intended to communicate or illustrate a spiritual truth. That's all it is. It's a fancy word for a story with like a moral to the story. Like this is not some super crazy thing. We all know this, right? We've had fables and things, stories growing up. There's a moral to the story where a parable is, is not complicated. It's just a story with a point. Like, like, the point of this story is, and look at the end of verse 2. It says, And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, sower is just another word we don't use a ton. It's just old school, like a farmer, like sowing your seed, so scattering seed with the intention of planting it. That's what he's talking about. 
And a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus tells this story. He said, and you could put the, oh, we died. What died? Did all of it die? Nothing died. Oh, yeah, you can leave that. Good idea. Jesus tells this story, and he says, okay, the sower goes out to seed, and he scatters the seed, and he tells about these four different areas that the seed lands. And he goes, he tells kind of the explanation what happens to the seed, and then Jesus, the, what's great about this parable is Jesus is going to tell us what it means. So some of you are reading that like, I don't know, seed, ground, birds, choked. I, what this, yeah, well, Jesus is going to explain it to us. It's going to be great. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So I love this about the disciples. They come to Jesus after he tells this story. Right? And they're like, hey, Jesus, I have a friend. You don't know him. But the friend didn't really understand your story. So if I were to explain this story to my friend, whom, again, you don't know, what would you say to help my friend understand? Right? And he said to them, to you, verse 11, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, this is huge, absolutely massive what Jesus just said. Okay, and I think sometimes we get into the parable of the sower, we skip over this, and you're like, wait, did you just understand the magnitude of what Jesus said? Look at what he actually says in verse 11. He said, in this parable, you have been given the secret to the kingdom of heaven. Let that sink in for a second. This parable is the secret to the kingdom, of, the secret to the kingdom of heaven. That's huge, right? Think about all the things that we think of that are important in our Bibles, right? The Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and, you know, the Beatitudes and the, the I don't know what else you think is important in, the, in, the, in your Bible. None of those were called the secret to the kingdom of heaven. None of those were called, hey, this is the key that unlocks the rest of it. This is the one thing you need to know if you're going to understand all of it. Nobody said the Ten Commandments were the thing you need to get for the secret to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, this is, and then another huge important thing that he says in verse 13, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? If you don't understand this story, you won't understand any of my stories. If you don't understand this teaching, you won't get any of what I'm trying to teach you. That's huge, right? He calls this the secret to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, if you don't get this, you won't get any of it. That's why I firmly believe it is literally God's plan for every single person on the planet. It's literally his expectations for the entire world. So what does it actually mean? Well, let's see what Jesus says, starting in verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word. This is a huge piece to the story, right? The seed is the word of God. 
Right? So if you're like, where do we start? We start with the word. This is our value as a church. Like one thing matters most. It's the word of God. All of this that is about to take place starts with the word of God. He says the seed in the story is the word of God. So you need to see that the whole thing is God initiated. You didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? I'm going to get myself to heaven. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to make my relationship with God right again. I'm going to give my life purpose and meaning and a hope in a future. That did not happen. God initiated all of this with his word, right? He, in his kindness and his grace, gave us his word. Everything that follows the entirety of the secret to the kingdom of heaven is based on a response to his word. So here's what he says happens. Verse 15. These are the ones, so this is the seed that fell along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So soil number one, the problem is that the seed never gets planted, right? The seed never gets planted. So if we take these four soils, this, these four steps, and we kind of superimpose our language on it of knowing God, finding freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. The first soil, the reason, the problem with it is it's never planted. The word of God never makes it deep enough to actually start to grow. So continue on, go to the next slide. It is imperative that we know God. It is imperative that the word of God makes it into our lives that we actually know him. The only way that you will know God is if the word of God is actually planted in your life. And there's two places it needs to be planted. It needs to be planted in your head and in your heart. And why do I say there's two places it needs to be planted? Well, because there's two kinds of knowing, right? I know my wife. Like I know stuff about her. Right? I know how tall she is, what color her eyes are, you know, like the clothes that she wears. I know those things about her. But if that's all I knew about her, if I didn't have any experience with her, if we never hung out together, she would say, you don't even know me at all. Right? If I bought her a coffee in the morning, she'd be like, what? Because she doesn't like coffee. She'd be like, Why would you buy me coffee? You don't even know me. Right? So you have to know in your head information, and you have to know in your heart by experience. There's two kinds of knowing. You can't skip out on one or the other, or you don't really know God. You, you can't skip out on one or the other, or the seed hasn't really been planted. The word of God has not really been planted in your life. There's head knowledge, and there's heart knowledge, and both have to take place. You have to know information. You have to know what God is really like by his word, and you have to then Walk it out and experience it. It's better to give than to receive. How would you know that? That's in your Bible, by the way. You would never know that just by reading it. You would have to actually do it, right? And some of the parents in here are nodding, right? Christmas is still my favorite holiday, but it's not my favorite holiday now because I get stuff, which it was when I was 11. When I was 11, I was like, yeah, I get stuff. Now it's my favorite holiday because I get to give my kids stuff. And it's actually so much better to watch them rip stuff open and be excited, right? But that knowledge comes by experience. And the same thing about knowing God. The word of God needs to be planted in your head and in your heart. All right, second soil, verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. 
The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And then, verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the second soil, the seed is planted, but the problem is it can't grow roots. Now, if you didn't know this, seeds grow roots before they grow leaves, right? They grow down before they grow up. That's how plants work, right? They cannot sustain growing up unless they have first grown down. But the problem with this soil is it says it has no root. So it went to grow roots, but there was rocks in the way. It wasn't free to grow the roots that it wanted to grow to sustain the plant that it wanted to grow. There was no freedom. The rocks were constricting it. Right? So this is why we label this one find freedom because it can't grow the roots. It needs to grow to sustain the life that it wants to have. So what do you got to do? Like if this soil was going to be productive, you got to get the rocks out. You got to get the rocks out of it so that it can grow the roots so that when it grows up, it can sustain itself. Now, we're just talking about big picture finding freedom. What are we finding freedom from? Don't overthink it. It's super easy. Sin. This is what everybody wants freedom from. This is what everybody needs freedom from. Right? And there's two ways sin that affects us. There's, there's sin that you've committed, and then there's sin that others have committed against you. If you're into, like, cop shows, right, you're the perpetrator or the victim. Right? And actually, every single one of these, there's going to be two different uh, points underneath just to help you understand kind of how these things affect us. So there's sin that you've done that you need freedom from, and there's sin that other people have done against you that you also need freedom from. And the Bible actually gives us very clear directions on how to find freedom, how to get those rocks out of your life so you can grow the roots needed to sustain what God wants to do in your life. If it's sin that you're the perpetrator, if you've committed sin, the way you get rid of that is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. You need to say it out loud to somebody, and you need to repent of it. The way you get sin out of your life that someone else has committed against you, the Bible also gives us very clear direction on that, is through forgiveness. Forgiveness. You need to forgive. Let it go. Not, not say that it never happened, not say that it wasn't a big deal, but I have chosen to not hold on to this. I have chosen not to use this against you. I have forgiven you. And Peter came to Jesus at one point. Peter is one of his disciples. He's like, Jesus, how many times do I got to do this forgiving thing? Remember what Jesus said? Twice. After twice, just punch him. No, he didn't. He said 70 times seven. A lot. The, the idea was like enough to where you aren't counting, right? And that actually gives us the freedom. That gives us the rocks out of our life, right? Because then you can grow the roots that will get to the next soil. Look at verse three, the, or not verse three, the third soil. It starts in verse 18. He says this, and the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the third soil is good soil, right? There's no rocks in it. We got the rocks out of it. There's seed been planted in it. But the problem with good soil, who's a gardener here? What does good soil grow? Anything, right? It'll grow anything, right? You got to get the stuff out that you should be growing so that you can grow what you should be growing, 
then what we would say it is you got to discover your purpose. Because if you just let stuff grow, it's going to grow all sorts of stuff that shouldn't be growing. Can you imagine going to a farmer? Like you see a field, right? And like maybe you get invited over for Thanksgiving. It's a family member, you long lost or something. You walk in. Oh, I see that you're a farmer. Yeah, we've been farming for a long time. What do you grow? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Yeah, we just plow it and let stuff grow. And then in the fall, we see what we have. The problem with that life is it's not going to be useful at all because you're going to grow maybe some good stuff, but mostly some bad stuff. And the bad stuff's going to choke out the good stuff, and you're going to be left with nothing of value at the end of it. So you got to discover your purpose. you got to grow what you should be growing and stop growing what you shouldn't be growing. Like, that's the problem with this soil. It's growing everything, right? And what starts as good things things that are not necessarily sinful, ends up choking out what God actually wants to grow in your heart. Look at the things that he says. Cares of this world. Is that bad in and of itself? Like some of you are thinking about lunch already. Is that bad? I mean, maybe. Maybe you should be listening to me. But no, it's not bad to like, hey, I'm hungry. I need to eat. That's a care of this world. Hey, I'm cold. I need to wear a coat. Like that's a care of this world. It's not bad. But if you leave it unchecked, it will choke out what God wants to do in your life. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Somebody say amen for the deceitfulness of riches. You have to have riches to make it in this world. But riches in themselves are not sinful. But when you fail to see that they are deceitful, it can choke out what God wants to do in your life. And the desire for other things says those three things, they may start in good soil. You might be like, they're not bad, they're okay. But as you let them grow, when you fail to differentiate between what you should be growing and what you should be growing, they will choke out the word of God in your life. So what should we be growing? Well, that's why we call it discover purpose. You need to find what God wants to do with your life. You need to find the things that should be growing in your life. And just like every other point we've made so far, there's two things that happen uh, that God has used to show you what should be growing in your life. There's an individual thing that should be happening in your life, and there's a corporate. There's a me, and there's a we. There's things that God has given you specifically that nobody else has. Right? God has given you gifts that nobody else has. God has put you in situations that nobody else is in. God has allowed people in your life that nobody has a relationship with. Right? There's people in this room that are moms to children that I could never be a mom to for lots of different reasons. Right? There are people in this room who have giftings that I will never have. There are people in this room that have relationships that I will never be a part of. That's your individual purpose, right? And our individual purpose is usually revealed on our gifts and our circumstances. And so some of you are like, you're organized in a way that I'll never be organized. God can use that in your life. That can be part of your purpose. That's, that could be a supernatural gift. Some of you are given ways of, of relating to people that I never had. Like I say stuff to people and people are like, are you mad at me? I was like, I said, good morning. What do you mean am I mad at you? Like, my wife's like, you just, you got to fix this. It looks angry all the time. I'm like, I'm trying. This is me being happy, right? Some of you are gifted, and like, you say really mean things, and it feels like you, like you just gave the person a hug. 
I was at a small group this week, right? And there was a person in our small group that uh, we made an agreement. I was like, hey, I'm not going to pick on you. I'm not going to call you out because he's like, I'm uncomfortable being in a group. And so he's probably really appreciative of me saying this in front of everybody. But anyway, uh, he's like, don't pick on me. I was like, I won't pick on you. And then another lady in our group was like, what do you think? And asked him, and I was like, oh, no. But she did it in such a way, and she has such a gift, and she's, like, so kind about it that he was just like, blah, 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 and started talking. I was like, that never works when I do it. I asked him the same question. He's like, like a vampire that the sun just shone on, right? And she asked, so your individual gifting is revealing of your purpose. Like, God has made you in a certain way to do a certain thing. But that's not all. Right? If you're only thinking about your individual purpose, you're not going to be finding, discovering the kind of purpose that God wants for the fullness of life. God has also called you to be part of a whole. God has called you to be part of something bigger. God has called you to be part of a movement, and that is his body, the church. And so when we talk about we, those kinds of purposes are revealed not in your individual gifting. Sometimes your individual giftings and your corporate purpose line up, but mostly what you find is when you get part of a whole, you just see needs within the body. So what happens is you're part of a church, and maybe you're not like killing it on the money front. Maybe you're not like the guy that just like business is his gift and he makes money and dollars just like flow in. He's got a money tree in the backyard. But you look across and you see somebody in the church or maybe outside your church or maybe that your church is a part of helping a, a group of people and they need 20 bucks. Maybe it's not my gifting to have finances, but I got an extra 20 bucks. I can meet that need. And that only happens because you're connected to a part of a whole. Maybe your church goes out and builds a house as part of a mission. And maybe your gifting isn't to be a craftsman, but you could swing a hammer to build a house for this family to be a witness to them. And so now you find a purpose in being a part of a whole, and it's needs-driven. And so the two sides of discovering your purpose are individual, and that's usually based on gifting and circumstance, and corporate the we part of it. And that's usually driven by needs. As you look across, you're like, hey, that person just needs a hug. That person just needs a phone call. That person could use a couple extra bucks this week. That person just needs me to show up. Let's discover purpose. Let's continue on. The fourth, fourth soil. Look at verse 20. It says, but those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, and 60-fold, and 100-fold. So the intention is that the word of God is planted in a heart. That heart then is, has the freedom to grow roots as it starts to grow up. The things around it's weeded, right? The things that shouldn't be growing are pulled out. The things that should be growing are nurtured. And then it grows into a plant that is fully mature and bears fruit. The Bible talks about this fruit in two ways. There are the fruit of good works, which is doing good things. And here's the way we say it. We make a difference. The intention of all of this, 
The intention of the word being planted in the heart, the word then allowing you to grow roots and, and know God, the word then allowing you to find freedom from sin that you've committed and sin that other people have committed against you, the word then growing up into maturity and getting the things out of your life, discovering your purpose that you shouldn't be growing, discovering the things that you should be pressing into. All of that is intended that you would go out into the world and make a difference. Now, just like the other three steps of discipleship, uh, there's two sides to this. There's X's and there's O's. Hopefully that's easy for you to remember, but it has nothing to do with football. Some of you got real excited for a second. Like, what? Yeah, it's X's and O's are easy to remember, but it's not hugs and kisses. It's not tic-tac-toe. It's not football. X is because the X is the sign of multiplying, right? Fruit is intended to multiply. If you didn't know, fruit contains a seed, So that seed falls to the ground with the intention of growing another plant. So you're not just called to make a difference for difference's sake. You're called to make a difference to multiply. Right? So I teach my son, like God's word impacts my life, so that I teach my son that hopefully he goes out someday and makes a difference in the world. And then he has some kids that he trains up to make a difference in this world. You see how it multiplies? Right? Maybe we're going through a hard time in our marriage, me and my wife, and so we allow the word of God to take root in our hearts and change us so that maybe 20 years down the road when people come to our church and they're having a tough time in their marriage, we could pull them aside and be like, hey, we were having a tough time. Maybe we can help you through this. And we help them through that. And then maybe 20 years later, they go to a church and they see a need and they go, you know what? Maybe we can help them. The intention is that the fruit multiplies. It isn't just so that you could say like, hey, pelt on the wall, did a good deed today, cross it off the list, check the box, we're we're set. No, it's intended to multiply. When Jesus told his disciples, the last thing he said to his disciples is he said, go and make disciples. He told his disciples to make disciples. See that? Like, hey, disciples, make more disciples. Make more disciples. That will make more disciples. And you can follow that line all the way to Riverstone Chapel, 2020, downtown Spokane. We are disciples because they were disciples who made disciples. We are intended to multiply. That's the whole point. And the second thing you know about fruit is O's. O's as in circles. Right? You know what concentric circles are? Like circles that all have the same center? Right, like a target, like an old archery target, right? It's got a little center, then a bigger, and the bigger. Oh, yeah, I got a picture of it right there, right? Concentric circles. Jesus illustrated this when he told his disciples. He said, go make disciples. And this is where he told them to do it. He says, go to Jerusalem, which was the city that they live in. And he said, go to Judea, which is the country they live in. And he said, go to Samaria, which is the country next door. And then he said, go to the ends of the earth. Fruit should be most concentrated the closer you get to the plant. Right? If if a plant grows fruit, most of that fruit is going to drop right at the base of the plant. So if you get close to that plant, there's going to be a whole bunch of fruit. And the further away from that plant you get, there'll be less and less fruit. And that's exactly how it was intended to work. In fact, I was in Green Bluff two weeks ago, and I took this picture. It's a pear tree, I think. Yeah, it's pears. The closer you get to that tree, the more fruit. You see how that works? In fact, Jesus had a very specific name that he called people who didn't have fruit 
close to their tree. He called them hypocrites. He called them hypocrites, right? Oh, you got fruit out here. You go to church. Maybe you write a tithe check. Maybe you got a Christian bumper sticker, but your kids hate you. Or your marriage is terrible. Or you never even read your Bible. Or you're dishonest. You have no character, right? That would be an example of someone had fruit on the outside, but then the closer you get to the plant, you're like, where'd all the fruit go? Jesus said, you hypocrites. You do things to make it look like you're religious. You do things to make it look like your heart has changed. But really on the inside, the closer you get to the plant, the less fruit there is. And that's not how it's intended to work. The word of God should produce the biggest change in your heart. And then next in your marriage. And then next in your family dynamic with your children. And then next in your house. And then next on your street. And the next in your neighborhood, and the next at your church, and the next in your city, and then next maybe in this world. But don't do this thing where you just try to produce fruit out there and don't start in here, because that's not the way it was intended. Remember, Jesus said, This is the secret to the kingdom of heaven. This is not just like, Hey, that's an interesting idea. No, this is the way it's supposed to work for everybody. This is the key to understanding all of it. So these are the four soils, three bad ones, one good one, which as a preacher is kind of demoralizing. Like, eh, 75% of your audience is not going to go well. I hope that's not true, right? But what I would argue is this is the plan of God for the life of every single person that is listening. And what I love about this parable is that it is intentionally diagnostic, Right? Jesus told this parable so that you would read it and be thinking of your own life. You read it and you go, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, some of you are reading this and, and listening and, like, and, and like images in your mind are either like flashing of parts of your life that are dysfunctional or parts of lives of people that you know, or maybe churches that you've been to, or, or any of these situations, and you're like, you're like diagnosing the issue right now because this is how it was intended to be used. Right? You're like, oh yeah, there's that one church. And remember, they stopped teaching the word of God. And so they stopped multiplying disciples, and eventually they stopped making a difference. Right? Oh yeah, I stopped reading the word of God. So there was nothing planted, and so then I couldn't bear any fruit. Or like, I never got that sin out of my life. I never forgave that person or stopped doing that thing or actually confessed and repented of that thing. So then I thought I was doing okay and then train wreck, my whole life ended. Why? Because I never got that sin out of my life so I could bear the actual, grow the actual roots that was needed to sustain the thing that God was doing in my life. It's intentionally diagnostic. And what's great about this is that the Holy Spirit will convict you today of something, and then 20 years from now, it'll convict you of something completely different. You'll read this today, and you'll be like, there's things in my life that are choking out the Word of God, and I can see it so clearly now. And then you'll read it 10 years from now, and you'll be like, I don't make a difference. I'm part of that huge group of Christians who know God, have found freedom, maybe kind of know our purpose, but very rarely make a difference. Or maybe you read this and you're like, you know what? The deceitfulness of riches are choking this out, and now I can see it clearly. You know what's interesting about plants? 
Plants don't scream. At the Lee house, we are terrible at growing plants. They're all dead. Everyone we've ever tried. Even outside. We don't even try plants outside. Me and Megan are just like, nope, not our thing, right? Because plants take a lot of care and attention. You got to pay attention to them. Uh, but kids at the Lee house, we got three kids. None of them are dead yet. You know why? Because when a kid is getting choked, he screams. And so I go fix it. Or when a kid needs food, they cry. And so I feed them. Or when they're cold, they yell at me. And so I put clothes on them. Like Kids are a lot easier because they tell you what's going on. Plants don't. So if a plant's getting choked out, can you imagine if plants did start to scream when they were being choked out? Ah! Ah! Help! I can't breathe. You'd be like, what's going on? It's like your orchid. It's like, so many people don't realize that the word of God is being choked out in their life because it's not screaming. And you're looking at it, you go, I don't know if that's healthy. It's just slowly happening, right? And so this parable is intended to diagnose the things that are going on in your heart. So here's what's great about this. A hundred different people will read this and be convicted about a hundred different things. And that's actually kind of terrible for me as a pastor because they tell you in preacher school that you should have one main point. It's easy to remember. I can't have one main point on this. I don't know what God's doing in your life, in your heart. I don't know when you read this, if you're like, oh my gosh, this needs to change. This needs, I haven't planted the word of God in my heart in a long time. I need to get that going again. I don't know what God is telling you. So, you know, if I was teaching this at seminary, I'd probably fail. You need one point. I don't know what the point is. I don't know what God is teaching you in your heart, but I do know this. I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has a plan for your life and it involves you knowing God and finding freedom, and discovering your purpose, and making a difference. See, it's interesting. When Jesus left, he didn't primarily leave a book. He didn't primarily leave an institution. He didn't primarily leave a way of life. He left a people. He left a people, a growing organism They were intended to grow and multiply and reproduce. Like, that's what he left. He left a people. Now, he did leave a book, but the book was intended to produce a people. And he did leave an institution, the church, but the institution was intended to produce a people. And he did leave a way of life. There are things you should do and shouldn't do, but the way of life was intended to produce a people. A people that know God. A people that are finding freedom a people who are discovering their purpose, a people who are making a difference. Now, if you're like me, you're like, great, I got the plan. Now I'm going to go do it. How many of you are thinking that? I guess I got a a map now. I'm going to go do this. This is great. You can't. And you'll find out why next week. You can't just go do this by yourself. I mean, you could try. Good luck. It won't work. There's something you need, and we'll talk about the parable of where Jesus teaches it next week, that will allow you to actually live this out. And you can't do it without it. So, cliffhanger. We'll see you next week.